obviously in Acts chapter 13. Excited to get in the word with the crew. If you need Bibles, Pastor Leon is passing them out right now. You can go ahead and raise your hand to grab a word. We always want to encourage you to either bring your Bible. Um, if you need a Bible, uh, let us know and we will even give you one so that you're getting used to navigating through the scriptures on your own uh, at your house. And here, although we have it on the screen, just want to encourage you to have your Bible so you can open it up and again, get used to this dialogue with the word, circling things in your Bible, uh, learning, observation, uh, interpretation, application, um, some, some healthy skills as you're jumping into the scriptures, okay? So just want to encourage you in that. At MacAv, we go through books of the Bible. We're in Acts. We've been in Acts for some time. We will continue to be in Acts for some time, right? We're, uh, we're almost hitting the, um, the midpoint here in Acts chapter 13. Praise the Lord. And, and we're learning a lot about what does it mean to be the people of God as they are learning about what does it mean to be the people of God. Um, I want to encourage you to go online if you want to catch up, if you're new. Uh, we want to encourage you to come and stay and be a part of what we're learning. Uh, be a part of this local community. Uh, we preach the books of the Bible because we want to make sure that we aren't left into our pride and to stand in areas that are safe for us. And so that's one of the reasons, and God wants us to know his whole counsel. So we do. Uh, we're going to go through every book of the Bible. Um, this book is, uh, oh, I just want to encourage you guys, if there's questions, please uh, bring those forth. Um, if they can edify the church, uh, if there's something specific, come see me and we can dialogue about it. Uh, this book, just to give you a little snapshot, um, is uh, one of, of two books. That was one, right? We're talking Luke and Acts. That's what was happening, right? And, and we had uh, Luke, the author, writing to Theophilus. And then that one book actually became two. Uh, that canon became two, which is what we have now is Luke and Acts, uh, the Gospel of Luke and uh, Acts, uh, which is basically the study of the, of the uh, early New Testament church. He writes to Theophilus to try to determine and help us understand the life and works of Jesus. Um, we see in the scriptures Jesus rising from the dead, uh, which is basically the end of Luke and actually the beginning of Acts kind of merging together to kind of bring the continuity uh, into what Luke is saying. Uh, we see in Acts he begins to not only rise from the dead, not only shows that he's the king, Jesus our Lord, but then he, he actually sends these guys out on mission, but then he sends them out in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? He, equip, he equips them to do the task in which he asks them to do. Uh, so the believers are filled with the Spirit, uh, gospels being preached to different onlookers, people coming and getting saved. God's grace is basically upon the Christians um, as they're seeing the church grow. They're realizing, man, we're just this new covenant community. What does it look like? God begins to build his people throughout the ministry, and we begin to see that throughout the scriptures as he's building them supernaturally, as it were. Um, there was a question here and there in the book of Acts. We see God deal with people in different ways who are questioning the validity of what is happening with this local church. Uh, we see God beginning to purify the local church by killing people who are sinning and doing things that um, are adverse to God's plan. And so we just see basically in the beginning of Acts, God establishing his local people, showing us that the promises that he said he was going to fulfill, he actually is beginning to do those things um, throughout the book, which is actually, again, validating him as king and also hopefully comforting us that when God has a plan, he will fulfill his plan. I hope that's comforting for you because he has a plan for you if you know Jesus, right? He said, I'm going to perfect whatever I have in store for you. And guess what? No one can thwart that. That's exciting. That's really exciting. I forget that a lot, but that's the reality of my life hidden in Christ, right? As it says in Colossians. Uh, church is thriving, dealing with all these different things. We, we get introduced to uh, our first martyrdom um, where we have Stephen killed for the, 
because of him exalting Christ, we see uh, basically the church beginning to be placed out on mission, but not on purpose, right? They, are, they go on mission on circumstantial issues, right? Because they're getting persecuted. They all get sent out. They begin to preach the gospel to uh, Gentiles. And God, again, spreads the gospel supernaturally because he is about his purposes. Even though the people didn't get the gospel, you got to keep in mind, I believe like before Peter, when Peter had the vision or so, I think seven years or so had passed. All right, so when he had the vision of the, of the curtain, oh, now I need to preach to, to the Gentiles too, right? He, they had been an established church like, going through the journey for about seven years, okay? My point in that is that God is like, okay, I'm giving you all a chance to realize I'm a God of the universe and preach the gospel to everybody. Oh, it's not happening, okay? Guess I'll kill Stephen. Everybody will be, get persecuted. You guys will go to other places and you'll figure it out, right? God, again, being very clear that he's going to accomplish his purposes, um, so we see the gospel go out supernaturally, and now we enter here, and we begin to see the last couple of weeks, um, people being aware of God's plan, about what God is doing in the world, and kind of like what's going on, and uh, the gospel's going forth. They're preaching the gospel to different people groups now, and now we enter here into chapter 13, right, where we see all of a sudden um, the Holy Spirit is propelling Paul who was Saul, right, who was killing Christians, and now he became a Christian, and now he's preaching the gospel, and now he's an apostle. And then we have Barnabas, who actually is another apostle, and John, he's sending these guys out of Antioch. And that's, our, that's basically where we're going to be right now in, in Acts chapter 13. Antioch being kind of the, the, the headquarters, the sending ground for, like, the ministry of the Gentiles, as it were, right? So this is what we're, this is what we're going to be looking at right here. Antioch... Um, Sending these guys into basically a very lost pagan world of Cyprus, which is where we're going to be today and also beyond. I bring it up to say, here's what's happening in a nutshell. Basically, what we're seeing throughout Acts, and I hope we we already get this, but I hope it's super, super, super clear. And that that is basically the book of Acts is trying to show you and me that Christianity in itself, in its posture, is... um, is not just a speech to the world, but it's screaming out in the world that, that our posture is a scream of mission, that, 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 that we're, not, we, we're not a maintained kind of religion, right? We don't, we're not a religion where we, we come to Jesus, we kind of maintain, we kind of hope we're going to do the right things, we kind of just hang out and do music and we kind of wait for Jesus. That's not the posture of Christianity. Christianity is not a maintained religion. It is a, it is a religion that's on a mission, Right, the posture of Christianity is from its onset. You get saved. God wants you to learn to be equipped to be a proclaimer. So, so, so the, the, now, evangelical America tells us we say these things, but we really try to live our Christianity out sometimes like it's a maintained religion. Right, where we, 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 grow, we grow deeper in our theology, right? We get connected with this, our Christian group and we kind of hang out and you know if the Lord supernaturally allows something to happen, we'll share our faith. That's the opposite posture of what you see in Acts, of what you see Jesus proclaim, and what you see Jesus live. It's not a maintained religion. So I just want to make it really clear for our local body this is why we do what we do, right? This is why we have the CDCs. This is why every dimension of our church ministry is what it is, is because we believe at a core, our leadership, our elders believe that the posture of Christianity is for us to equip you so that you are a go-tell people. You are the sent people of God. Now, that gets us in a lot of trouble, right? Because we get, we get, you know, you get, we, get, we get a little flack. Why y'all making us do this, making us do that? Which we ain't making y'all do nothing, by the way. Right? We're, we're presenting the word to you and showing you here's what God has said. 
Here's what the Lord wants us to be about. And then we want to provide an environment, right? We want to provide an environment, a posture for you. If you say, man, I, I believe that too. Well, now you can do this. 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 Right? That's the posture. This is what's happening in uh, Acts chapter 13. Critical chapter about God expanding his kingdom. But I wanted to make it really clear that Christianity is not just maintaining. It is moving forward. And that's your life. Now, where we're at right, we're here right in, in Acts chapter 13 is about, I mean, some theologians would say actually 25 years um, after Pentecost. I, I think it's more safe to say, I'm thinking between 15 and 20 years. Um, I think that's safe to say. We're talking 15 years or so. So the church has been established for some time. I just bring that up to date because we haven't done that much. I just want us to see that this isn't, this isn't just sequential, right? Like what we talked about last week didn't happen last week. Okay, <laughs> like, so just think about that. From Acts chapter 1 to 13, we've seen, we've seen almost either at least 15 to 25 years pass. Okay, at this point, I think Paul has been a Christian almost a decade, maybe about seven years or so. Okay, so things are happening. And now we enter into Antioch, and look what it says in the scriptures here. It says, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, right? Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I can't get into it, but it does show you here a little snapshot that there is a difference um, where you have like people who are, when you have this whole sense of prophets and teachers, people who basically proclaim the script, proclaim the truth of God and teachers like more of a didactic sense. I think, I think it shows that there's some difference. Um, I like to just say sometimes prophets are, are, are unprepared teachers, but that's just, uh, this is my thing. You just go and just preach the truth. Don't know why you, what you're doing, but that's cool. Praise the Lord. Um, you have, I love this group here. I mean, in your own time, you want to circle some of these names. Again, remember, sometimes when people are mentioned and described, it's important to the text. I just love that you're getting this flow here of who he's sending out on mission, right? So you got, um, you got, you got Barnabas, right? We, we, we talked about Barnabas in chapter 11 and chapter 12. So you got this Old Testament teacher, this guy who's, who's firm in the scriptures. He has knowledge. He's a Levite from Cyprus, right? Uh, this guy's. Uh, He's called a comforter. You got uh, Simeon, right? This guy, I mean, he talks about this guy being dark. The whole concept there is there's a sense that these guys are from uh, the African region, right? So they're from Africa. So you got these, he's a Gentile. Um, Lucius also being a Gentile you have here. And then you have um, Mannion who's actually down with Herod, right? I mean, he used to be down with Herod. Isn't this crazy? Look at this group. And then you got Saul, who's Paul, right? Who basically uh, was a Pharisee, a Sadducee. I mean, a Pharisee, right? part of the Sanhedrin before he became a Christian. So that's your group. You talk about an all-star group. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'm not, I'm, this is not part of my, I'm just, I was just thinking like, can you just imagine going up to these guys? You know how people, uh, you're trying to find like uh, an issue. Like, well, he, uh, he doesn't know my culture. I mean, you got black folks, white folks, you know, Gentiles, Jews. You got everybody in this group. And so, man, I think, man, what an all-star group. Well, these guys, these people, in verse 2, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, which I love, by the way. I love the sense of while they were just worshiping, while they were just honoring Christ, fasting, worshiping. The Holy Spirit says, set out for me, apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Right Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them 
and sent them off. So what we see here is God taking initiative first, right? We see a supernatural move. And I'd like to, I'd like to make it really clear here because, okay, you have the Holy Spirit talking to these guys. And because they all hurt, get, like, got the sense of this is what they need to do, I'm proposing it was supernatural. It wasn't the way how we talk about the Holy Spirit talking to us by any means of the imagination, right? But no, well, let me pause here because I want to talk about this word called. Um, I, was, I was really thinking and praying. I was like, man, we need to talk about call because I think the word call gets kind of misused a lot of times in evangelical circles. Um, can I, right, can I just be, can we just be frank there? I think a lot of times we talk about call, and is this fair? A lot of times we use call in the sense of, you know what, there's something um, that, God, that I like to do, and I want to go do it, right? God has called me to these people, right? And what we're really saying is I, I want to go and minister to those people, or God has called me. Have we, have we, how do you use the word call? Do you hear the word call used a lot of times to justify um, a decision? Right? I mean, am I the only, I mean, you got, I mean, this is, this is the way I usually hear the word call being used, right? And, and I think this is really dangerous. And so I want to pause a little bit to really just have a, just challenge us a little bit of what we see in the scriptures. Because I want to propose that the word call isn't used in that framework as a normative use. Okay? So let's, um, I don't know if we can put some, so, when you look at the word, the movements of call, and I just, this is just in a nutshell, just, just a cursory study, the movements of call, uh, it seems that the Lord allows us uh, in the scriptures, like basically call to each other in a sense of worship, right? We see that in scripture a lot, right? That, that we basically call into one another and calling out to the Lord. So, we see worship being kind of a normal mode of expression when we're talking uh, call, right? Right, uh, the Lord, like this, and so I left a few uh, scripture verses there, crying out for his name, calling out to the Lord, that whole posture, right? Uh, we also see it in the sense of election. Uh, actually, I would propose to you, you see that a lot. That's a lot of scripture. And, and, and basically in the Old Testament, um, the reason I didn't put it, vocation has no verses there, because you don't see the word call uh, much in the Old Testament all in reference to vocation. Now, that's key now. Because I think we normally use it in reference to vocation in America. Okay? And here's why I propose we use call, right, or the spirit told me. Those are, synony- those are synonyms in America. Right? I propose the reason why we do that is because as humans, we need to feel like we can validate what we do. Right? And if I put the God stamp on it, then you can't speak to me about it. Okay? As soon as I put the Jesus stamp, shut up. I said, God, are you better than God? Right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about what that means. Cause them to what is a question. So we continue on. Oh, she said, what, what about when, when God calls Moses or even calls Abraham? So the question is, he called him to what? Right? Let's look at that. So I have down here. Let's see, continue to go on. So these ideas move forward, and then you're going to see some, I'm going to bring them back is you have initiation and salvation. So I want to propose when you look at Moses, you look at Abraham, you have the issues of initiation and salvation, and then I'm going to go down, initiation and salvation and destiny. Those are very different. Very different than I'm going to be a postal worker. Okay? So, so basically you have many times, and I brought it to the New Testament here, where in a moment of conversion, God points to that. 
God points to him making you his child, making you his people, right? Or, or giving you, and I want to propose here, the issue of apostleship. I think the apostleship is the only time I propose the only office that's mentioned in the scriptures where God actually calls someone. Even here in this text here, he calls them, but who is he calling? Right? He's calling two apostles. And what is he calling them to? To do the work that they're supposed to be doing. You understand? Let me continue on. Just to, and then we can, ask, we can ask more questions. This is a debated topic, okay? This is a very debated topic. And I want to propose here, too, uh, that I'm not saying that there is not calling that extends outside of, 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 of appointed offices. What I'm saying is it's hardly mentioned in Scripture. So you have initiation salvation. So you have a person being converted, um, point to the moment of initiation when the faith is born. Um, and, and the interesting thing about this point is that it can't be ignored. When God calls you, uh, like you can't like not do what he wants. Like he, he saves you and it is what it is. Um, there's also the issue of naming. Uh, many times he'll call you something in, in a sense of like shaping your identity, making you new. So I actually, I want to propose that's another posture that you see in the Old Testament. Uh, just talking to Sandra, uh, this issue of God, when he talks about calling the people of Israel, and you see how he talks about calling you to be my, uh, to be dot, dot, dot. It's an issue of like reshaping your identity, a new shape. Then you have the issue of destiny. Can you go on, please? I propose many times when he's talking to calling, especially in the New Testament, he's talking the ultimate goal of believers. Like the issue of, of that, and, and, we, and I've seen this actually take verses and use this for specific callings. I want to propose he's talking about, uh, you can write these addresses down, the ultimate goal of a believer. When he's saying about talking about your calling, he's talking about your ultimate goal of actually finishing the race. Your, actual, your goal of actually being his people. Then you have this issue of holiness. Uh, being like God, um, the more, that basically our destiny has uh, a more implication, right? That, that if we're his people, we're going to be like God. And then we have the issue of vocation. <coughs> An issue of vocation, we see this in the scriptures, uh, but you, again, I, I haven't found it where it's not appointed to um, an office, and so I'm, I'm proposing that when we say, fill in the blank, you know, God called me to this, God called me to that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's, um, what I, say? I think that's a bad use of a very intense, serious theological term. I don't think it's untrue. But I wonder if there's a better word to use that, that, that is less spiritual. And I think we also need to ask ourselves, why are we using those words? What's the goal? So I want to propose, here's what I would say. I would say there's a primary call and a secondary call. And I would say what, if we're talking about a person being called to do a specific task, I want to propose that's a secondary call. And the primary call is basically, I don't know if we put that up there. I would say a primary call is more general. And I would say this is a normal mode of operation that you see in scripture. And I think it falls in line with the normal framework of how scripture acts. And that is, it's unsexy. Is that, is that we would like call to be all dynamic and all, and like, you know, in this specific thing. And this, but I want to propose to you that, that God is like, no, actually, when I talk about call, I'm really talking about, in a nutshell, you being a Christian. So, being a follower or worshiper. Being called for him, by him, or to him, right? 
I want to propose that the scriptures teach that you're a primary call to someone, not to something or somewhere. God is that God's heart. I mean, yeah, I mean, you never see. I mean, Jesus was a Jewish carpenter, right? You never see the father or, or any language of this sense of like he was called to that. It was his vocation. Because it seems scriptures reserves that reality, that sense of calling, that, that, that specific sense of calling to special instances. So maybe if we even agree to disagree, that's cool. But can we at least agree that, that calling isn't as flippant as we make it in, a, in our day and age? It's not, this, it's not that flippant. So I want to propose when you talk about going like, call, like my, you know, if you play football, you're a professional football player, right? Uh, it seems to me that the, the normal use or, the, or I would say a healthy use of biblical calling is after something is done, being able to look back and then verifying if the Lord was, was in that. Does that make sense? So I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not in college saying I'm, a, I'm going to be called to the NFL I'm 16 years in the NFL saying I was called to the NFL. Does that make sense? Because you can't determine what God wants to do in your life. So I, I want to propose, I think that's very, that's very scary. Let me just continue on real quick and then I get some questions. because I know there'll be a lot of questions. The secondary call is then under his sovereignty. I want to propose that we, we can do everything for Jesus, Right? That there's a secondary call in our life. And these are, I would propose, personal expressions to God's regeneration. And now we're talking about what we do and how we live and how we have our being. Basically, it's a response to his summons. And my whole point here is not that these calls are not calls. I want to propose if, if, okay, so so in my own framework, in my own convictions, I, I stick to the primary cause. But if we in a church, you guys like, but I really like the secondary cause, and you, you still use that language. I'm not upset. I'm not hating, right, at all. But what I propose is, even if that's your normal flow, I want to challenge you to always allow your secondary cause to flow out of your primary call. And I think that's one of my challenges: is that if we're not serious in understanding, okay, first I'm called to God for His purposes. Like there's nothing, there's nothing sexy about that. This is my role. And now out of that, I make decisions out of my primary call. I think our decision-making will be much better. Does that make sense? So that's a lot to chew on, right? Yes. So what I mean by that is, is the way, so I get saved, you get saved in a way well, the, way I've, the way I'm supposed to live life now is whatever I'm doing, I'm doing for the Lord. So, so basically, you working for, what's the name of that place you work for again? TWEJ? Okay, thank you for giving me the acronym. TWEJ. I want to propose she's not just working for TWEJ, but that's one of her expressions of how she, as a regenerated person, gets to worship God. Does that make sense? That makes sense? So like you, so now I'm, I'm regenerated. So the one, one of the ways I get to show that regeneration is now as a lawyer, right? I go into law and now my, my personal expression, because it's different than mine, is I get to express to the world, here's what it looks like for me to worship God as a lawyer. 
It's your personal expression of something that God has done in you. Those are all, that's what our, voca- our vocation should be. Our vocation shouldn't just be about the paycheck. I think we have a bad theology of work when it's about the cheese and not about the exaltation of Christ. That's what I'm saying. So I'm saying, amen. So, so what I'm saying is that's not sexy enough for people. I'm saying that basically you're called because you're a Christian. And that, that God wants you to focus on that. And you're called because God has an ending destiny for you to always be his people. Like you're called to that. And because of that, you're called to an implication of that as a holy person because God is holy. And because God is holy and now you're holy, your expression of how you represent and worship him is through whatever you do. But now to say, I'm going to do this because God is told. It's like, uh, I'd rather you just say, I like football, man. And play football for Jesus. To me, I want to propose that's more accurate. That's not sexy. There's no Holy Spirit stamp on it. You just like to do it. You know who modeled this? And, they, and, and we scared of that because we don't want to seem greedy or self-centered. Or, But no. If you like football, play football. Play for Jesus. It was cool. Can I just put you on blast, Alex? I didn't ask Alex if I was going to do this. but So last week in that group, it was so cool. He modeled this. He didn't even know it. He said, I said, Alex, we're talking about law and you know what he's going to get paid and all that stuff. I said, Alex, man, what? Why do you choose? Why do you choose law? Right? You know what I love? In the flesh, you probably wanted to say, what can I say real spiritual here? <laughs> Am I right? In the flesh, you probably want to say, man, the pastor just asked me why I want to be a lawyer. Great. How am I going to get out of this one? Right? Can't say because I make a lot of money. That ain't cool. Hmm, what else can I say? You know what he said? He just, he just said, man, I just want to provide for my family and honor the Lord. Did I get it right? Is that in a nutshell? Isn't that just refreshing? No stamp on that. No, it's like I'm free to do it. And, you know, that's what's up. He said, he said, you know what? I just want to, I just want to, um, he said, I just want to uh, uh, provide for my family and honor the Lord. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, next question. <laughs> you know what's funny? Can I, can, I, can I be honest with you guys? I think I was looking for something spiritual. And I think when you said that, it checked my heart. Like, why isn't that enough? Why isn't that enough? Why isn't it enough to say... Because I've always wanted to be a doctor since I was a kid. And man, I get to provide for my family. Hope is awesome. Why isn't that enough? Why we got to figure out a way to make sure that Jesus said it so people don't think I'm just wanting a lot of money and I don't want to make sure people... No. So I'm saying we can... To use the word calling, I'm just saying this see the temperature that it's used, the way it's used, the height of it in Scripture. To see how it's respected in Scripture... And I just think we should use it with that same kind of intensity. And if he is not talking about it in every flippant way and every, you know, Joe hum person, then I don't know if we should be. I think there's ways to talk about what God is doing in our life that are way more simple and that sound like what the world says because that's what we, we live in a world and it's okay. Yes, I know there's a lot of questions. I mean, I keep rolling until I got, you know, I got a lot of verses, but I don't have a lot to do, a lot to do so don't, don't get scared. Caleb? Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and let, me, let me be clear. I don't want to put anyone in shackles here feeling like, oh, my goodness, if I use calling in front of Eric wrong, he's going to. That's not my deal. In fact, we can use calling in that way. All my heart is for our body, as I lead you as a pastor, is wanting for you to be responsible. And just think about how you're saying stuff. And what, you, what, what implications are you giving when you say it? And why are you saying it? That's all. And so if the Lord has done that, man, because some of us have, God has put burdens on our heart that are just more heightened than other people in the, in the body. And if someone said, man, this is, it almost was like a, like a calling, like since I was a, you know, four years old, I'm going to celebrate that. I'm not going to go, now, wait a minute, is that the way to use an Old Testament? You know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't tripping. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, I'm, my heart is, guys, can we be honest? How do we use it? If we don't use it like that. It's very flippant and it's very justifiable. The passion is like, I need to justify what I'm doing. I need to justify what you're doing. I need to justify the situation. So let me say stuff to make sure I can put a little spirit stamp on it so there can't be healthy Christian accountability. I'm trying to fight against that. I'm not fighting against the word. It's not about semantics. Use call, but use it responsibly. Okay? You feel my heart? I want you to understand your pastor's heart here. Okay, guys? Yes. I, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, one of the reasons why someone says, he said, do you think using it responsibly can protect our hearts so we're not blaming God when things that we all stamp with the Holy Spirit aren't, aren't happening, right? And I tell you guys, and I'm going to get emotional here. I remember a dude when I was my first year on staff at Michigan State, uh, this charismatic dude came in, passionate about Jesus, talking about God's calling his life, using his language. Some things didn't work out for him, and they found him two weeks later decomposing in a, in a, in a refrigerator that he got locked in in the basement of one of the dorms because he was homeless, and he didn't want to tell people that he needed help. Because in his mind, he had thought, man, I'm supposed to be successful. I'm going to tell you all this stuff. That's my commentary. And so he can reach out to the covenant community, and now he's dead. He was a college student. Believe in those lies, thinking I need to act like I got Holy Spirit power. And if I don't act like this, then people aren't going to see that I'm victorious in the Lord. And now all of a sudden, here's this guy, dead. Those are the kind of alleys, the dark alleys, I think that kind of stuff takes us to. Because, because we can't manipulate the Lord, and then he'll show us that. And now what are you going to do? And it shipwrecks many people's faith because they're not just trusting the sovereignty of God. Whether this happens or not, God has me. And so I, I absolutely, I think it protects us, but I think it protects other people that we can actually model Bible study methods when we're using terms in a healthy way. I have, yes, sir, J.D. That's great. That's, those are great questions. So the first one, I think that's my bet. I would propose it's not as sexy, but I think because there's no, I think to, to, to call things passion when they're just passions is okay. It's no, it's no less dishonoring. It's, it's honoring to Christ. I think it's honoring to Christ because he just showed you, he created you with some of this stuff just hot, hot wired in you, right? Everything, you're not robotic. And I think that's what it shows you is like, man, God, I like cake. And I like cake before I was a Christian, you know, like, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like, why do you, 
So, so yeah, I think, I think pastors, I agree with that. And it also, I, I, I propose that what happens is when we, as an unbeliever, are doing whatever we're doing, and then we become a believer, now our whole world, we got to now reassess everything we're doing. And now we're still wanting to do, we have the freedom to do whatever we're doing, still, in Christ. But now it's informed, and now it has a telos. Like before, you were just doing it for, what, I don't know what are reasons. But now everything you're doing is for the exaltation of Christ. So now you have to reassess whatever you're doing as a believer... Like, if you were doing it before, like, okay, so why am I doing it now? And I make some of us have to quit our jobs. <laughs> like, if you know, like, like right guy would be going to reveal to you that, man, you is all about Satan and doing all this other stuff. So either God can regenerate, redeem that and say, oh, now I'm viewing the same job biblically. Or some of us, you know, right, if you, you know, selling kilos, you know what I'm saying? And you get saved, you probably have to get a new line of work. Right? All right. Just for the sake of, of having, a, I'm sorry, yes, I want to take some, let me, let me try and blow through and make sure we, get, we understand what's going on in the text, then I'll, we can revisit. So if you can write your question now, I just hope that helps us think through. Again, the heart here isn't like, believe what I believe, well, I'm praying you do, but, but my heart is as your pastor to help lead you to what the scriptures are saying. Okay, guys? Um, so, that's the issue of call. Verse 3 they're fasting and praying. He lays their hands on them, which basically in a nutshell just says, that, hey, we're recognizing these guys as delegates, recognizing these guys, the people who are being the sent people of God. And that's why it's very important for us as the people of God. When we send the missionaries off or we're, we're doing something special and we're trying to, we're seeing God unleash his, his power in our community. It's very healthy in your Mac groups and as individuals man, to lay hands and say, Lord, I, I disagree. I agree with what God is doing here. May the Lord be exalted. Um, Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, I love that, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived um, at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Um, So these guys are being led by the Spirit, uh, which in a nutshell, again, you know, we hear that, and we can start thinking of all this stuff. I want to propose, hopefully, what you have learned as we've gone through Acts and been going through, hopefully, our understanding of pneumatology, the study of the Spirit. Uh, My heart is that when you hear that, you're just hearing individuals who who walk in consistency in obedience to God and the will of God, right? And where the will of God is expressed through the people. And we see this when we look at Colossians 3 and we marry that with Ephesians 5, right? In Ephesians 5, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And he gives you like some framework of what that looks like. And that same terminology is used in Colossians 3. But you know what the difference is? Verses in saying be filled with the Spirit. You know what it says in Colossians? It says that the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Interesting that the author will provide two very similar texts. And say different things of what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. Right? You understand that? So my point there is the word of Christ dwelling richly within you, right? You're speaking the word. You're modeling the word. You're obeying God. God says something. You say, okay, God. How does he say something? He says it through his word. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Um, just a little snapshot on, on our study of the Spirit just to remind us. Verse 6, so these guys are, are preaching the gospel, and it says in verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island of, um, as far as Paphos, they came unto a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Loves this, right? This whole sense of um, a false prophet, which I think is really sad that this brother would get. You talk about a memorial, right? You the guy in the Bible who's called the false prophet. I think that's jacked up. But... Um, 
It says, so you can either, like, so there's two ways you can be. You can be this guy who kind of like astrology, like the study of the stars, and it could be more of a cultist thing, a false religion, which seems to be the case here. Well, that guy in verse 7, it says, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, right? A man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Love this. Doesn't this just make you smile at God's sovereignty? First and foremost, I think it's hilarious that you got this musician dude. He's hanging out with the guy who's ruling all the ciphers. I think that is crazy, right? So you got that happening. But then it also shows you, I love he calls him a man of intelligence, which shows you how you can be an intelligent person and be hanging and doing things with stupid people. I love the fact that this guy, you can have it all together. And here he is hanging with this guy who's basically a false prophet, right? And it says here, I love this, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. I love that he wasn't that stupid. God gave him the grace. And I love the fact, look at this. He, they're preaching the gospel around this island. And it's to the point where they're hearing it's reached to the, to the height of the leadership, right? You got the guy who's ruling. Ruling Cyprus is saying, can you bring those guys in? I hear they're preaching the word. Can we talk God's sovereignty there? Right? Think about it, guys. They're missionaries. They're absolute nobodies, right? To the Roman world. They're nobodies to the Roman world. This is the Roman world, Right? They have no human, they, they don't have like this, they're part of this huge religion. Remember, Jews have kicked them out. So they're kind of like this, this, just this orphan group of people walking around here with a kind of weird religion that people are still kind of trying to figure out. Can you imagine? And it says that he's like, can I hear about those guys? Tell them to come here. It says, but Elamis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn a proconsul away from the faith. Love that, right? This, this guy, you got the same thing that's happened in our last chapter happening here. You got some haters coming. This guy wants to interfere with what God is doing, and he wants to get in the way of the scriptures. So what are we seeing here? Clear spiritual warfare. Do you in this community, in this body, believe in spiritual warfare? Do you understand that, that Satan is trying to kill and lie and destroy us and trying to get you to be against each other and to, to lull in your faith and to, to destroy you? Look at this. Guy just comes up and just starts hating. He wants to turn people away from the gospel, and I love Saul here. Um, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. Let me pause here. I actually love the fact that uh, the author decided, it's almost like he got frustrated. In verse 8, decides to change the brother's name. Right? And that deep, right? He's like, it's all you can see him with like, but Elymas, the magician, for that's what his name is. That's what he really is. It's like, dang, bro. Like, that's crazy. Change his name. Verse 9, but Saul, who also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Verse 10 says, and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? A couple things here to make really clear. First, notice the play on words here, right? What's the name? What's the dude's name? Bar-Jesus, right? What does Bar-Jesus mean, right? Right, like son of, son of Jesus, right? Son of salvation, Right? Right? He said, no, no, you really, you're a son of the devil. You see that play on words there in verse 10? Right? And then he says, hey, what, the crooked paths, right? He says, stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. What, is, what does he mean by that? Well, I want to propose to you to turn turned away is, 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 is the same is the term that he's using in verse 8, right? And then he says, make crooked in verse 10. And actually, it's the same Greek word. And so basically what we're talking about is individuals who get in the way of people coming to faith, right? 
is individuals who, who can kind of try and be like a getting away. And why do we know that the path is straight? Don't we see a straight path here? Right? You see an individual who, who uh, missionaries come to the island, right? God paves the way for people to come to Christ. The leadership hears about it, paves the way for him to get right in front of the, these, these, these all-star missionaries to share the gospel. And then here come dude, you know, trying to uh, be a hater. And look what happens. Look what happens to him. He gets an eye disease. Look at verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when, they, when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now that's cool, right? Isn't that cool? First of all, he looks at, looks at him, says, you know what, because what you're doing, look, look what God is going to do to you. And I love, the, I love the fact that in his rebuke of Bar-Jesus, you see in the text here that, that, the, that it really wasn't about Bar-Jesus, right? That's, that, that, that's, not the frame, that's not the framework. That's not why he did it. He did it because of the end of the verse. He did it. This was really about Sergius. You see that? He gets blind, but Sergius gets saved, Right? The whole point, he, he, see, my, here's my point here. Sometimes, I love this, he had to deal with the real issue in order to focus on the main issue. And I, I see this even as, I, as I've been a pastor now for almost two decades. Uh, personally, in our, it's in our lives, if I can just take a little snapshot here. When I see here this guy saying, uh, let me go to verse, verse 11. It says, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him. It says in verse 12, then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I love the sense of what had occurred. He saw it and he came to faith. And I want to pause and say this is an implication. This isn't, this isn't uh, gospel. This is an implication. I wonder how many of us are going around and we're, how do I say this? We're dealing with the implications of our lives. We're dealing with peripheral issues. And we're not dealing with the main issue. And so we're never able, really able to see victory in our life. You follow me? We find ourselves fighting all these others. And I love that he sees this guy hindering the gospel. He deals directly with the satanic influence. And then God uses it for the man to come to faith. And so what I even wrote here, I said, all too often in our faith, I watch people normally dealing with peripheral issues versus the satanic. Right? Demonic ones that are right in their face. And then we live powerless Christian lives and we're kind of short-circuited. And so let me just give you a quick example and then we're going to go home. I've seen many people even leave our local body, you know. Because of things that are maybe someone sins against them, maybe there's an issue. Uh, and we're not dealing with the issue of fear. We're not dealing with the issue of pride. We're not dealing with the issue of people pleasing. We're not dealing with the main issues. And I just want to propose to us to be a body. Uh, again, these are implications. To, to make sure that we're seeing what the real issues are in our life. And that we're attacking those issues and not the peripheral issues. That's just a separate sideway. Just wanted to bring that to you guys. Here's the application. First, God is truly pursuing his people so that salvation rings out. I know I've had to blow by this, but we spent way too much time on the, on the uh, is, God, is God calling you or not? That God is a pursuer for salvation. Here's my point here. What we're seeing in Acts, all throughout Acts, is that God is trying to say that, man, the posture of Christianity is that he wants to pursue people to be saved. And my heart for our local body and for myself is that we would be just as passionate as the Lord in wanting to see people come to Christ in our community. Now, I know that's our heart, 
But I want us to begin to take practical steps in the seeing that happen. So let me ask you guys. Um, how many of us are, 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 are inviting someone to our local body Sunday mornings? How many of us are continuously saying, you don't have to raise your hand, just think about that. How many of us are inviting people to our gathering? I mean, what would it look like for you and me to say, man, I'm going to invite two or three people to hear what the Lord is saying here and to see what God is doing through this awesome group of people that love Jesus. I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us right now. What would it look like? Let's do that. Let's be inviters. Not just into your home. I think we do good at that. We want to invite people to our homes, but I want us to be inviters to our covenant community. Can we do that? Can we ask the Lord to give us that grace? To say, hey, man, it's Friday. Man, tell my neighbors, hey, you can come out, hang out this Sunday. Right? What if we did that consistently, week in and week out? The same individuals, praying for them, putting it on your refrigerator. Asking God to allow us to, to, burn, to burn a passion in our heart that we want people to get saved. We want people to hear. We want our neighbors, even though they said no the first time, and the second time, and the fifth time, and the tenth time. And we continue to say, what are ways I can pour my love out on them and continue to be inviting them into the covenant community? I think that's one practical way uh, that you and I can really model this, not maintain Christianity, but a movement Christianity. Uh, secondly, guys, is this piece uh, that I was just talking about, the sense of <sighs> there's always haters and hindrances. Um, I, I think the way I'm wired, and then we're going to go home, I think the way I'm wired, I, I try to spend my life really trying to get rid of all the hindrances and all the haters. In the flesh, I'm, I'm thinking, how do I go through the week, and how do I make sure that my week is just awesome, where there's no, no one's hindering my time, all right, you know, I told you guys a while ago, I try to make sure all the dishes are clean. And, and I'm like, okay, how do I make sure that my life is free of hindrances and, and, and people who are speaking against me or, or what, I'm, what my passions are? Do you guys spend time doing that? Do you spend time? Do you, are you just used to the fact that day in and day out for the rest of your life, there's going to always be issues in your life and always be haters and always be hindrances? Are you just like, have you come to grips with that? I haven't. I think, no, if I, if I do all the right things, I just can have a drama-free life. Is that your goal? Is that your goal? Sometimes, is that your goal to say, man, I want my life to be drama-free. I want to propose to you that Christianity isn't drama-free. That as a Christian, your whole life is about God making you more like him and Satan kind of trying to destroy you. How do you think you're going to have a drama-free life when that's what you signed up for? I feel like the last couple of months, I've been experiencing great joy in the Lord and, and just been experiencing Him spiritually. Because I feel like even when I'm writing my talks, hanging with my family, because I feel like God is graciously slowly making this a reality in my life. Where I'm like, it's going to be drama. And it's going to be hindrances. So my goal can no longer be to just stop them. But what does it look like for me to do me, enjoy my life, enjoy Christ, while all the stuff's happening? I pray that I'd be our posture. Because, see, what hinders us sometimes from ministering, because I want to get my life together first. What hinders us from inviting neighbors, because I want to do this first thing. When I clean this up, then I'll... Right? What hinders us from discipleship is, well, first let me clean all this up and... and and it's always, well, well, and, and, and then, and then, and then. 
Only if, only if. When I, when I, right? That's how we do life. And guys, I think Satan uses that to lull us. Year after year of really not putting our feet in and saying, Lord, I'm going to jump in what I know you told me to be true. And just whatever happens, whatever happens. May that be our posture. We're going to do a time of tithing offerings, family. Think about that. Talk about that in that group. My prayer, hey, take that challenge. Let's invite everyone in discipleship groups. If you are new here and you're not in discipleship.